talking about uh, chapter 57, 14th verse. Uh, and it says, And shall say, Cash ye up, cash ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. Man, I've been listening at Marvin Stavlicker, but I've listened at about uh, 20 sermons and teachings on this stumbling and stumbling block since I started studying on this series, and one preacher, I think he has 15 lessons on it, so we won't nearby come to fully covering this as thoroughly as he covering it, but we in the latter days, and talking about some people having more and more Bible studies or whatever and that's what was going to have to happen if we can't have it now we would have to have it through the day or something but it's in the latter days it's going to be like the church in the beginning that had Bible study almost nightly uh, you know most of the time after because when the church was in its infantile thing they thought the resurrection was coming real soon but as it waned on in longer and the apostles seen it wasn't going to happen during their time through the word, it took a little bit more different flight. But in here in the latter days, we're seeing that we need more and more studying of the word of God because we're seeing the different language and prose and how the Bible is written and realize we you can't hardly just the surface of what's going on, the infinite understanding of the living word of God. And it's this word stumbling and the stumbling block here. Who in specific is he talking about when he says, cash ye up, cash ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people? Is it messengers? Is it angels? Is it part of the people? Because it was John Elijah, that came, John the Baptist, that came in the spirit of Elijah, preparing the way for Jesus to come, and in preparations of his coming, the stumbling blocks, the obstacles that are in the way. Just what are the stumbling of the stumbling blocks that are in the way? And with that, like I said, it's such depth to the Bible, you have to break some of this thing stuff down and come back and do line upon line, heal a little bit there, a little bit and precept upon precept because it's the vastness of it. Uh, stumbling as a metaphor. What does stumbling stand for in some sentences? Because it's not always an obstacle that's hindering the way that can be moved because I think of all the preaching and teaching I've heard, maybe only one preacher that looked at it as they, they used to say about make the highway straight and prepare the way of the Lord about moving actual obstacles as they would do before a king or something would come and prepare and level out the highway so that he wouldn't travel against over bumpy terrain or whatever because in those days stuff was drawn by horseback or by men on foot or whatever they carried around and they didn't want them stumbling or jostling the king or whoever the queen was coming and they would straighten out the highway so a lot of the crooks and turns and the pathways would be made straight for the king to come in. But also stumbling as you look at it metaphorically 
It could be for darkness, you know. You, you ever get up in the middle of the night and stump your toe on something, walking in the dark as an occasion of stumbling. The book of Genesis, the 41st chapter, and the 8th verse says, As it came to pass in the morning, that his spirit was troubled within him. He's talking about Pharaoh here. And he set and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them of a dream he had. But there was none that could interpret that that unto Pharaoh. But while Joseph was in prison, he was in darkness. He called forth Joseph out of the prison. Joseph interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. So symbolically, Joseph was in darkness, but got the light of God's word shined in darkness and gave Joseph the interpretation of it. We hear of the spirits that are in prison or sometime we are in darkness. And that darkness is a lack of knowledge or understanding of God's word. And it calls it in the dark. And you have occasion for stumbling. When you walk in the dark, when you can't quite see, there's occasion for stumbling in the dark. So metaphorically, the biblical writers use darkness to describe being ignorant of the right way, living in unbelief, and being dangerously subject to wandering, falling, injury, pain, and even death. These ignorant dumb dogs can't bark because they don't have the light of the word. They're walking, they're blind as the blind, leading the blind, and give others occasion of stumbling. The book of Proverbs says, the fourth chapter in the 19th verse says, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. They're not realizing what's causing the occasion of stumbling. And it's a lot of people like that in the church not realize it's their own thinking. It's their own way of life that are causing their very own downfalls, their occasion of not rising high enough, uh, causes of stumbling. I, I, and I can't, like I said, it, it, this is a limitless category. It causes of stumbling. Psalm 69 and 6 says, O Lord God of the armies of heaven, don't let me be a stumbling block to those who trust in you. O God of Israel, don't let me cause them to be confused. You know, I look back over my life and things, and I hope that I hadn't been a stumbling block to others, and at some time I could have been a cause of stumbling. Uh, A lot of times we could have been a cause of our children or someone else stumbling when we didn't quite know or we gave information that wasn't quite right that led to another to go down the wrong path or do something wrong. And so we see stumbling sometimes we can be occasion of others to stumble. I think uh, if we were all here Sunday, I started this Sunday, and then when I told you Peter, whatever chapter that was and verse it was about him becoming a stumbling block to Jesus, when Jesus says, uh, who do men say that, that I am? And he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Son of God. And he says, Flesh and blood had revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. For through his pride and through who Peter was as a man, and 
that's why I say sometimes our virtues, our vices can become, am I saying this right? Sometimes our virtues could become vices. It was a virtue that God had showed him this and revealed that. But by him being carnal and being a man, not realizing that he was still in the flesh, and that even though he said something that was spiritual, immediately the flesh took over. Through pride, when Jesus said that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and die for the sins of the world, and not understanding and stumbling at the word of God, he intervened and says, Thus it shall not happen to you. It shall not be so. He became a stumbling block at that time because he was like many of, if a, if a parent seen a child or someone about to perish or something about to happen, they would want to change the outcome of that. And through his love and care for Jesus, he wanted to change the outcome of that. But by Jesus being Lord and knowing all things, he realized that he had to go through to the cross. He had, this was something he had to do because in the Garden of Gethsemane, when his flesh was trying to pull on him, and he says, is there be any other way? It says, for it to be said, but nevertheless, thy will be done. So he realized that that's what we have to do. We have to take introspection and examine ourselves. He says, nevertheless, thy will be done. But Peter, not being led by the Spirit, and hopefully I can get that to that because through prayer and through walking in the Spirit throughout the day, of all of our thousands of decisions we make each day, Jesus Christ has to be captive and have to lead us in every decision. That's why even the smallest of decisions with prayer and supplication, it says, let your request be known to God, that God make these decisions for us. But Peter himself says, no, Lord, this not could be so. It shouldn't be to you. But Jesus stopped him at that point and says, he said, Satan, because it was the spirit of Satan. It was flesh. No matter how much you love him, he says, thou art an obstacle to me. In other words, a stumbling block unto me. He was a Satan. Satan is the adversary. You're trying to hindrance. You're an obstacle or a hindrance to me accomplishing the purpose of God. And that's what I say. Some of us can be a hindrance, a stumbling block, or something that would hinder. I remember my mother wanted me to go to school to be a doctor or whatever, but that may have been a stumbling because I went to college and it's about my second year in college. I said, well, no, this is not for me. The medical field is not for me or whatever. I'm not destined for that way. So it wasn't, it was through love. It was through her knowledge of me or whatever that she was a stumbling caused a, a cause of stumbling at that point. So that's why I say I hope I wasn't a cause of stumbling. That's why when my children say what they want to do or whatever, I, and I, I try to tell them, let the Lord pray to God and ask God what you should be doing. Each man has to follow God for himself. But Peter became a stumbling block, a stone of stumbling, uh, offense to Christ at that point. So what is a stumbling block, a stumbling stone? Anytime we become an obstacle 
to the will of God. So that's why Paul said, cease not to pray. It says praying always. Because right in your home, right at any time, any member of your family can become a stumbling block, a stumbling stone in you. When it causes a, def- a confusion, a as you get older, the minute you see you and your spouse or your children about to argue or get confusion and you say the wrong thing, you hear it, say, okay, well, that, and just leave it alone. You just drop it or whatever because if if we're not seeing the same way Satan is in that conversation somewhere, either, as Job says, you don't sound like my wife. You remember when his wife came to him and says, curse God and die? That's that's why Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, I come to bring war. You have to determine when your wife is not your wife. In other words, when she's an obstacle to you. Yes. You have to determine when your husband, when your children, when your parents. Anybody can become a stumbling block, a object of stumbling. Yes. So we have to look at that word stumbling. Psalms 119 and 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Those that love the law of the word of God, nothing shall offend them. And it amplified reads, it says, Those who love your law have great peace. Nothing makes them to stumble. In other words, because you look and lean toward God's law, and God's law is a light, a lamp unto your path. And so you'll cease not to quarrel. You'll cease, you'll try to stop. Like I said, there's going to be many a skirmishes throughout the day, throughout the time. That situation can change at any moment. That's why every thought has to be taken into to the captivity and obedience of Jesus Christ. And he's not saying it lightly for that we have to give account for every idle word we speak. That's why he says it's a sin to murmur and complain. What does great peace mean? What does great peace mean? Peace automatically suggests an absence of war, no battling and no fighting. Under temptation, a battle always rages. Even if we are winning, there's always a battle, a raging going on. And the desires that lie within our members causes this. In such a case, no peace exists, much less great peace, because there's turmoil underneath. There's a sense of turmoil. That's why Jesus Christ comes, and if you read this chapter in the last chapter, you see he says he gives us his, his peace. Now, I might broaden this out and talk on peace in this chapter, because he's talking about his people being at peace with those in the world, and there's never peace to the wicked. But if we're relying upon God's law and trusting in God's law, that's where our peace lies therein. He says, uh, the spiritual war uh, we fight is caused by temptation from Satan, our human nature, and the world. The three places that that eruption of our peace comes from that spiritual warfare just like I tell you in the book of 1 John where it says the lust of the eyes, the pride of life and the lust of the flesh where that's a portal for Satan to enter in so either it's Satan and you remember I told you it was Satan that entered into Peter Satan entered into Jesus 
I mean, into Judas. And so Satan is, has a capability of entering that. And Paul says he looked within his own members and his own members, in other words, being carnal. The flesh is enmity with God. Flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blood, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's why the life is in the blood. And that's why he gives us a new life, a spiritual life. And the world, that can be a stumbling block, an object of stumbling. And for most nowadays, it really is. Even for my grandkids and things, as you see her there, that iPad soothes her or whatever, but that could be a stumbling block for her. It could become an object of stumbling. Yes. And it's for many of people nowadays. Uh, remove temptation and the war stops. If no man is no longer tempted, that's the only way Satan gets us, is through temptation, through the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. What remains is great peace. If you stop craving after stuff and stop coveting or whatever, the natural result is peace, great peace. If you stop greed, trying to gain and, and be content with such that you have, all of those are implications of spiritual contentment, of spiritual fulfillment. How do we achieve not just peace, but great peace. The last half of Psalm 119 tells us nothing causes them to stumble. So it has to do with God's word. Achieving great peace, and that is those that meditate in his word day and night. So what causes a human to, to stumble, I said, it was temptation. This means we have to be sheltered from temptation. We, act, we have to ask God to keep us in this, it means we have to be sheltered from it. The American Standard Version renders this phrase, they have no occasion of stumbling. And the Young's literal, literal translation puts it as, they have no stumbling block. And here's somebody else I was reading out of the Berean or something. Somebody that uses a Rothenham's emphasized Bible reads, nothing to make them stumble. And so... We see the stumbling comes from darkness or walking in such a way that's contrary to God or the word of God and that we've lost fellowship or touch. We're not being led by the Spirit. All of the renderings mean that not even the opportunity to stumble is presented long as we're abiding in the word of God, believing in being led by the word of God. But if we get out of the word of God, if we're not led by the word of God, therein comes the occasion for stumbling. Other scriptures mention protection from stumbling. And that's where it says Jesus is a refuge. He's a rock that we run into. He's a mighty strong fortress in the time of need. Here are three scriptures that talks about stumbling. Psalms 121 and 3 says... He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber nor sleep. He keeps you. That's the one that doesn't let you dash your foot against a stone. As Satan quoted. I, I, I'll talk about that scripture a little bit more in a minute. Uh, it says, 1 John 2 and 10 says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. He who loves his brother. But if you hate your brother... 
There's no way you can love God because Jesus, one of his commandments, he says, to, to love one another, love one another as I've loved you. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory with exceeding joy. So we see here, we want to stop the stumbling before it starts. I remember one time I working in the UPS room. God, through the gift of his Holy Spirit, is the only power in the universe that can accomplish this. And that's why Jesus never stumbled or faltered because he was full of the Spirit, full of grace and truth. And as if God does not place that seal around us, we have no hope of success. That's why each morning when I get up and I'm, I'm praying, I do my prayer in the morning and I pray as I say, I present my body as a living sacrifice and then I ask him to put the whole armor of God upon me to protect me in that day's journey. Alone we are powerless to face temptation. We overcome it not by our strength but by God's power. The shield of faith given to us as his gift and that's why I say that's one of the things that Acts in the place upon me the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the adversary. Uh, that shield of faith is talked about. First uh, John uh, 5 and 4 says, For what so, am I still? 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Y- y'all understood that verse? That's the King James verse, and I, I think for a lot of people, it's not a very, they're not very understanding the essence of what that's saying. So let's look at it in the Amplified and in the Living. The Amplified says, for everyone that is born of God, instead of saying for whosoever or whatsoever is born of God, it says, for everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. So all of the us that are born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world. Our continuing persistent faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what overcomes the world. But see, sometimes we get overconfident and we go into things without God or the Spirit of God leading us into those things. Itself. Uh, we're being led or drawn away by our own inward desires. I don't know what those particular desires are in that situation, but that's why you stumble. That's where the problem in you didn't see or you departed from the word of God, and that's what caused you to stumble. You might have been doing like Saul. Saul partially fulfilled the word of God. But he says, I saved the best of the sacrifices for you. Well, that means you didn't do the word of God. It caused Saul to stumble. And after then, God had said he couldn't use Saul because you have to follow God in the fullness of the word of God. Uh, The footnote there in the Amplified Version tells us about that. I was saying about that word that was used. Everything that is, John uses the group, the Greek neuter, to underscore the fact that everyone who has been born again, regardless of gender or age, is victorious over the world. 
even the smallest of anyone, and that's a neuter language that John uses. So that's why I say the King James may have been a little bit vague to some of us or whatever. Uh, the Living Version says, for every child of God can obey him. Every child of God can obey him. Now, it may be the sacrifice a lot of us may not be willing to pay. Just like a lot of men that may be married to stronger women, instead of doing what they know the word of God or what they should do to keep the peace in the home, uh, to, to unravel the feathers of the wife or whatever, they may go along with that, but that, that presents an occasional stumbling. Abraham made that same mistake in listening at Sarah, and he says, he says that, and then Sarah realized the mistake later on and says, huh? misfortune was up on Abraham and God pointed out to him because you listened to your wife see it's a lot of times people are married or whatever they may have married because of the lust of the flesh and God may not have made them soulmates or whatever and but God if it come to God it may be a battle of struggle to get through that marriage but it's not that the union was that God placed together, but he allowed that. Just like when Ahab married Jezebel, or when, I told you, Jehoshaphat's son married Athaliah, which was Jezebel's wife. We can get ourselves in all kinds of problems by not obeying God. And so those are real-life problems. A lot of times, take, for instance, a parent may tell the daughter or the son, uh, you you know that that's normally we ask permission or we ask what do our parents think about the person we're about to marry or something. A lot of times we go against what they say or what people are telling us, and we do it anyhow through lust. And that marriage turns out to be woe. Yeah. You wish you hadn't have done that. Yes. It can be very volatile. A lot of times children disobey parents, and not on see. Obedience is the key, and that's why it says the children of God, a child of God, can obey him. Defeating sin and evil pleasure by trusting God to help him. That's why Joseph fled a lot. Many other Christians, just like they talk about David, yielded to temptation. He yielded to see Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba was a stumbling block, a stumbling stone to him. Whether she did it on purpose or not, but it caused him to stumble. But if he would have been following the protocol of God, because God's word says that the king shouldn't take many wives. Not only did he take her to wife, he killed a husband in the process. So, it's the shield of faith given to us is a gift of God, just like in Ephesians where God gives us his grace to it says Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So God has to arm us because of his kindness. Revelation, I mean, Living Version says, Because of his kindness, you've been saved through trusting Christ. So once you start trusting him, keep on trusting him. Stop leaning to your own understanding. Meditate on his word. Walk in his word. Hide his word in your heart. Don't deviate from that word because the word is a light unto your path and a lamp unto your feet. Uh, 
it is our only sure defense. But other than that, we can get into situations that God may get us out, but it's occasion for us of stumbling. Sometimes we have to do these things. To acknowledge God and to pray always are to be in alignment with one's of Christ's most basic principles, a principle found in the book of Matthew, the 6th chapter and the 33rd verse. And I consistently tell you all about studying God's word and staying in prayer, meditating in the word and doing the word, walking in the word. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all of these things will be added unto you. But first all, is God in this? Is this toward seeking the kingdom of God? Praying always is a step stepping out in faith, believing that if we seek God first, he will add all of the things we need according to Philippians 4.19, including the strength to overcome and to finish the journey to enter into his kingdom. Now, as I was telling you, thousands of decisions we make each day, even the smallest of the decisions, a myriad of decisions we have to make, we are, are, if we are not acknowledging God's presence, if we're not keeping God with us. I, this morning I typed into, did on, went on to my chart, and I typed to my primary care physician. That I said, so taking this drug, what? Zimpic or whatever that I'm in a coverage gap and I can't afford the copay now. The copay on this drug is like two hundred and some dollars until I come out of the coverage gap and sent that to the doctor's nurse with it. But the doctor's nurse referred back and said, You know, I got I got a sample in here, you can come get that or whatever to take the medication so you wouldn't miss taking so, but I, you know, like I say, as I prayed to God when I first get up, I said, lead me and to make decisions. Lead me into and guide me throughout the day as you would want me to do what you want. See, because it's not that we're looking for pity, but sometimes we open or let people know where we stand. That's to humble ourselves because sometimes people of pride would say, well, no, I can pay. I can do this. Some men, uh, because of their pride, don't ask for help. Don't tell people of a problem. Don't ask for advice or whatever. A lot of times my wife had said something the other day about a dress. One of the things in the house, we're moving around, getting the furniture ready to put another, a new bed in the bedroom. And uh, I went back, I was thinking about the dresser, and she had said, well, how about the dresser in your room? Is it any good? Is it ready to go? We didn't have it in a while. So I said, well, no, we'll take her dress, as she was saying and put it in my room. She had asked me about this, but instead of being bold, and I came back after I was thinking about that, I said, well, okay, well, you're getting a new armoire that's going to be this big or whatever, and I'm bold and said, well, no, we're going to just change things around and go put the bed over here. I asked her, I said, well, what do you think about this? See, because God sent us, we should submit to one another, submission to one another. We need input from each other. And it's not just the man rules the house, or the man is over the woman or this. He gives her to you as a help me. He, give, he puts deacons and altar people and all types of singers and helps in the church. I say, well, we need great helps in the church. I need help doing things. And I consistently pray to God for help. 
And I never tell a person how to do their job. So of the myriad of decisions we make each day, we have to ask God for his presence to send someone to help us or to guide us. And we have to place ourselves in position of fighting our, not fighting these battles on our own. We have to realize the battle is the Lord's. So if the battle is actually the Lord, ask the Lord for guidance. Ask him for help. Ask him to lead you in the way. Israel made a mistake, and the same mistake we make today, choosing the hard road to fight their battles, and it was littered with nothing but battles of people or dead bodies of no success. It's just as they, Israel struck out the other day against Palestine, murdering and killing to get their way. All of the nations, all of the people were saying, this is not the way to accomplish this. Why don't you cease fire? Stop fighting a while. And the word of God has always told us to try diplomacy first. Well, since the ceasefire, they've received back hundreds of hostages. Sometime it ain't to take a maul and chisel and hammer to the situation. It's not brute force that's needed. Sometimes the way of peace, and if we give that peace, we can spread that peace. If God gives us that peace, it's made us complicit in their murdering of countless numbers of people. Yes. Now, I don't know what Christianity is going to do now. Their hobby horse is gone. They, they were given by the Supreme Court just what they wanted, and they dis, they dis, dislocated Roe versus Wade. Okay, now they're losing on that battlefront because that hobby horse, you can't trot that out. That was the thing I've been hearing ever since I was small that preachers preaches on preaching on abortion and murder and all this. What I'm saying about prostitution, uh, casual sex and things, the very thing that y'all are talking about, the irony is these women aren't getting these babies themselves in the abortions. The men's is complicit in this argument. Aren't you like the woman that was brought in the adultery? So it's your sons and husbands and things. The reason a lot of these women are doing this, it's the preachers. It's the politicians. It's the very people that's causing this. That's why the Catholic Church was overran in the orphanages because they hindered the priests from marrying or whatever. A lot of the orphanages that were created was to house the preacher's children because these women, the parishioners, was getting pregnant for the priests. There are so many bodies now that litter the spiritual road that we walk. There are so many people that have been given over to people that say they're of Christ or to preachers or whatever, and now they've fallen from grace because others caused them to stumble. Yes. And that's what we see with Christian nationalism now and what's been happening in, to this nation. A political alliance and religious alliance has caused this nation to be divided to the point it can't be, it can't be healed. The only thing that can heal it is an antichrist. And that's arising now. Yes. That, that is a political entity that has the guise of a lamb. 
a little horn that has the guise of a lamb. So politically, we are right for Antichrist, a cause of stumbling. And that's why Jesus Christ says he was going to be a stone of stumbling. He's going to be the stone that the builders stumble at. He's going to be the one that causes the stumbling. Uh, So we carry a lot of battle scars around, and I can tell you a lot of things. And Anybody that's fighting a battle, man, we've made mistakes aplenty. And that's why God says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We're constantly trying to do these things, and we don't always get it right. Our battles to overcome are more like skirmishes than battles because it's always some little thing, a thousand things that go on during the day. Somebody was telling me, I was saying how many things that I had to do that I didn't get done the other day because I have such a number of things that come out. So I have to put out each little fire that arises. And they say, well, what you have to do is determine the things you have to do and just put the others aside. And if they hadn't have been as close to me as they were, I'd have said, you the problem. You the pro- You started this thing this morning, and I stopped what I was doing to help you. And so that caused these other 10 train wrecks. Uh, in fact, we experience our most severe temptations and trials every day in everyday events like eating. Because you remember I told you Sonny about eating meat offered to idols and eating different things. Because sometimes you may not let somebody else eat you eat something or whatever. It's like I tell you with Muslim. I first came to the Pentecostal church and Brother Jackson was preaching or teaching and he was talking about about the Muslim and the people, about they don't eat ham and bacon. And if you don't eat it, well, bring it to my house and I'll eat it all the way. I said, he don't know if I was a Muslim or whatever. I said, that would have offended me. And you strictly is preaching against the Bible. I said, I couldn't quote the very strongest apostle that you would follow as a Pentecostal, where Paul says, if meat was to make his brother offend, he would eat no meat. So you're preaching this about eating meat, and Paul said, now you didn't defile your brother's conscience. If someone is an alcoholic, it surely may not be nothing wrong with you drinking, but it would surely be wrong for you to have them around alcohol, allow them to get old alcohol. Conducting our business affairs or relating to others and families and communities or whatever, it's so many decisions there where we could be a hindrance or a stumbling block. Some people may, like I said, they may play the lottery or they buy, buy a ticket or whatever. And you hear me preaching and I try to bridge the gap between both sides. Because it's like I say, for some people it's just entertainment. It's just something that rises to in, the adrenaline or whatever. But then to somebody else... Man, once they start buying those tickets and gambling, they didn't spend their rent money, their light money, and everything, and they can't, and they're trying to catch back up. I was just not talking about the computer. Well, man, I'd be on the computer, everybody, but I'm just saying if it causes you to be addicted to where you can't put it down, it's to become a stumbling block. If you was there six or seven hours and not a game going on or whatever, you ain't got nothing done because you was playing on that. Hey, I didn't do my reading. Or somebody calls me. You know that causes antisocial behavior? Because some people lock up in their house and say, that's all they need is the internet. That's all they need is their computer. 
God didn't cause us to be monks to go lock up in a monastery and become holy or whatever because he intended for you to be out among the world. He sent us into the world. So anything could become a stumbling block or object of stumbling. That's why I said we have to look at this all types of ways. Like I said, as this guy was preaching and he, the series he was going on made me want to prolong this thing. I said, well, no, I'm the end of tonight. Even I even, even touched the surface of it. Uh, Luke 16 and 10 acknowledges that he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So, a better way to win those little skirmishes is than to have an invincible champion God in the battle. That's the only way we can win is that everything that you did that day was according to God. And then that's why he says he give his beloved rest. Because like I said, too many times my conscience then got to me or something. And I go back and say, well, I'm sorry, honey, I said it like this. I'm sorry I did this. Or what do you think of this or whatever? So that's, Praying and being in the Holy Spirit and asking God to correct it. That's why it says not to go to bed angry or whatever, because a lot of these battles don't think that you won't say the wrong thing. It's going to be a lot of times. I don't think that Jesus didn't go to Peter for a reason. The very one that he went to for a reason and says, Peter, do you love me? Well, Peter was kicking himself. Why? Because he had denied he ever knew him. As a matter of fact, when it started to get too high, he says he cursed and swear. Because why? Your humanity. Your humanity. The man that came to Jesus and says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I got it in here somewhere. I hate to get these things out of order. But that's one of the obstacles I have, hindrances, hindrances to spiritual progress. And... Some of the hindrances to spiritual progress. Let me go ahead and do this since I didn't broke broke rings anyhow. Worldly allurements. And I was talking about the computer or the television. Not saying the evil within themselves because Jesus told his disciples to go aside and get a little rest. But now you have to watch it. Those algorithms and things that they use on AI or whatever is designed. They'll lock you into a show with streaming and everything, and before you know it, you'll sit there and stream a whole season of things on one show or one night, one or two nights or whatever. That's what the writers was striking about because AI is causing this with the streaming and all of the intent. What about the television and the movie junkies that's going to watch all this stuff, and AI is causing these problems and even the people that would AI themselves. So worldly allurements, a worldly allurement that calls Lot's wife, I think I talked about her earlier. It says worldly allurements prevented the escape of Lot's wife from Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19 and 26. It says, but Lot's wife, and, and I took the Amplified because it's clearer than the King James. The Amplified says, but Lot's wife from behind him, Whereas the King James says the Lot's wife looked behind and turned to a pillar of salt. But if you notice that I don't think Lot and his daughters knew that this had happened to the wife. Mm -hmm. Because when somebody tells you to run and don't look back, what did you do? 
you run until you look back. So everybody was running. And that's why it says, but Lot's wife from behind him, foolishly longing, looked back towards Sodom in an act of disobedience, and she became a pillar of salt. When they got to where they was going, they looked back and said, you know, she ain't with us. You know, she ain't there. So, come on. Kind of smiling, laughing, have a little humor in it. Because it was Jesus' parents leaving the feast in Jerusalem. They had went a day or two journey. They said, hey, where Jesus at? Jesus ain't with us. And when they went back and looked for Jesus, there he is teaching the lawyers and the doctors. And, and this, he said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Boy, you come on here. I'm responsible for you. And it says he went with them and was subject unto them to that very time. Because why? Mary took notice of the episode or whatever. But he was her responsibility. Those days, you know, it's just like with my kids and everything growing up. My kids would mix with my sister's kids. Man, they would stay all night different places or whatever. They was out there. They went to the movies. Took them to the movie there on Broadmoor and on Florida Boulevard, the Broadmoor Theater, whatever. Instead of them calling or waiting when the movie come out, they want to go out by themselves and make it home, make it to the house. They make it to my mother's house and they bam it on the door or whatever. They almost got in the world of trouble because my mama don't play around in the middle of the night, people knocking on the doors or whatever. But, you know, well, but kids, those days, it was a little bit safer to be out. But nowadays, you know, sometimes those things happen. The, temp- the tempted use of equipment that you're not used to. You remember Saul delayed David, it held David up because he was going back to fight, going out, that's in 1 Samuel 17 and 39. He was going out to fight Saul, I mean fight Goliath, Mm -hmm. and Saul gave him his equipment. David tried it on, but David didn't go very far because he says he's not used to that equipment. You know, a lot of times we go to churches or hear people saying something or see something on television or a lot of wives see what their husband's doing or see what other people are doing, and they see those people doing it, and they try that, and they're not used to being that way or doing that, yeah. and it doesn't work very well. You remember the Jeffersons? Yeah. One time, Weezy wanted to be like George, and they kind of flipped the script where she was like George, and she got herself in all kinds of trouble because she wasn't George. We have to be used to what God given us. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're kind, our personality, or whoever God, the tools God give us to use, we should use that and be ourselves. Stop being somebody else. That's what the football world and everything else is processed by, is that people want to be like Mike. People want to, oh, if I was the quarterback, I'd have did this. Yeah, 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 You, but you don't understand. Suppose you'd have been out there, you would have made it pay its first base. You go out and watch these movies and things. You want to be like the hero, jumping the car, fighting or killing. Or you out there with a gun, killing all these people or knife. So attempting to do something, it's idolatry. And I know I should teach on idolatry because that's what this chapter really is one of the key themes is idolatry. Yes. The things we worship and follow after or whatever. Uh, discouragement. Uh, oppo- the discouragement, 
stopped the men from building during the time of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4 and 10, they said, some of the leaders began complaining that the workmen were becoming tired and there was so much rubble to be removed that we could never get it done by ourselves. Negativity, discouragement, other people discouraging you and wearing down hinders spiritual progress. Unbelief hindered Christ's work. In Nazareth, Matthew 13 and 58, it says, Jesus couldn't do very many works in his hometown of Nazareth because of unbelief. Hey, man, I know him. That's the carpenter's son. He ain't no son of God. People's natural unbelief. That's why it says a prophet doesn't receive honor in his own hometown. It's hard for a prophet in the town of place. Familiarity breeds content. After you married a while, your spouse or your children may respect people on the job or other people's parents more than they respect their own spouse or the other people that's around them because, I don't know, trying to impress or or whatever it is, but familiarity breeds contempt to take them lightly or take the other ones lightly or not. Worldly possessions sometimes keep you back. It's a hindrance. It could be stumbling blocks. That was the hindrance to the rich young ruler following Jesus to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, sell all you have and take and follow after me. Yeah. And so that was a hindrance to him. Uh, even the work to come, we see in Proverbs, the man couldn't work because he said it's a line in the street. Later on, he said it's two lines in the street. That's imaginary obstacles of things that can cause us these things. The women coming to the grave in Mark 16 and 3 through 4, and they were saying one to another, who will roll back the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up that they saw that the stone had been rolled away already, though it was extremely large. So things we worry about getting accomplished, God's going to accomplish those anything but we have to go into it with the positive fact and not lay back and try to imagine how to get these things done or whatever. Yes. Family ties prevent a man from following Christ. When Christ told the man in the book of Luke 9, chapter 59, verse, to come and follow after him, he said to another, follow me. And, but he says, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus told him that if he that takes hold to the plow and looks back is not worthy to be his disciple. Because it may have been, I don't know how long before the father died. It didn't say the father was dead. He said, allow him to bury his father. So he was staying around maybe waiting to see how the inheritance go or whatever. But sometime family ties. And you remember I just told you about Job's wife almost prevented Job from the blessings of God. Yes, Sometimes our parents or pe- different people that become a stumbling block, not, not necessarily because they want to. They become a weight of sin that impede our progress. That's why I say it's not necessarily a sin yet, but it may be a weight that hinders you. Sometimes some couples, you've accomplished God's will, so divorce may be in the car. Separation may be in the car. Sometimes... God removes spouses out of the way. He removes children out of the way. He removes things. That's why when he says, The righteous perish it, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, and none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. 
Now, I don't know why he took Ezekiel's wife out of the way, but you remember he says in the book of Ezekiel that the delight of his heart was to pass that evening and not the morning. Well, for example, he removed his spouse. A lot of times God would remove a weaker vessel, a weak one. And so sometimes children of the righteous people to be moved is all a part of God's plan of what God's doing. That's why Jesus says, thy will be done. Because that person may have been a weight or a hindrance. You've seen some of the shows that come about and it show you how things a life would have been if that person would have lived, or if you'd have went down that road. I've yeah. suggested a group of books to my son to read, The Road Less Traveled and Further Down the Road Less Traveled. What happens if you'd have went down that road? Mm. What happens if you'd have married that individual? What happens if you'd have went in that occupation? So we you don't want to get caught in what happens or whatever, but there are a lot of things that become stumbling blocks for you or that can cause you to stumble, and we need to know what those things are or whatever. Okay, in your notes, I have some obstacles to be removed, and we see where God divinely move, removes these obstacles. Isaiah 40 and 4, Isaiah 45 and 2, Isaiah 45, 49 and 11, Zechariah 4 and 7. The one in Zechariah 4 and 7 says, Therefore no mountain, however high, can stand before Zerubbabel, for it will flatten out before him, and Zerubbabel will finish building the temple with mighty shouts of thanksgiving for God's mercy, declaring all was done by grace alone. So that's what I'm trying to get you to see. That God, when he speaks about clearing away obstacles and stumbling blocks and stones out of our way, sometimes these things are moved by God's divine providence. Sometimes God allows the enemy to move them. Sometimes God moves them. Because in Isaiah 45 and 2, he says, I will go before you and level the mountains. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. He was talking to Cyrus, the king of Persia, about going into Babylon and capturing Babylon. Mm. When Cyrus came into Babylon, he was the king that allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. But Cyrus didn't have to wage a war. God calls for the lead gates, the, the gates to be opened. He, they drained the river and came up the riverbed. They was in drinking and uh, Belteshazzar was at a drunken festival, so it really wasn't about Godhead. And that's what we have to see, that God's going to remove the obstacle. God removes the obstacles out of his way. And the rest of this chapter is God's people going back and enjoying peace and prosperity. It says, the 15th verse, For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabited eternity, eternity whose name is holy, I will dwell in a high and lofty place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth. For the spirit should fail before me and the souls shall which I have made. 
For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was not wroth, and I smote him, and I hid me, and was wroth, and he went on frowardly on his hand. So there were obstacles, and there were things God allowed to happen and to put in his way, but it was for a purpose. Now God's going to move those so that the blessings would come in. And he says, for I have seen his ways, and I will heal him. I will lead him also, and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him that is afar off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord, I will heal him. He says, but the wicked are not, are not alike the troubled sea, which cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. So he's not going to be an object of peace, but he's going to be a stumbling block, a stumbling stone to the wicked, but to the children of God, he's going to remove and he's going to cleanse and prepare the way of peace. But obedience, we have to walk in obedience to him doing that way. So we have that way we can realize what are the stumbling stones and what are uh, causing the stumbling. Uh, now, so I completed that portion of it. Where else I'm at here? Jesus, in Matthew 21 and 20, Jesus replied to them, I assure you and most solemnly I say to you, if you have faith that is a personal trust and confidence in me, it has to be in me, it has to be in my word, and walking in that way, and do not doubt, allow yourself to be drawn in two different directions. That's why I say the unstable man. You can't hold on to the world, you can't serve God and mamma. You have to loosen the world and take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after him. He says, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen if God wills it. So we have to do things according to God's will. So no man or child of God would walk up to a literal mountain. So that would have to be metaphorical that he's talking about speaking to the mountain and being cast into the sea. Uh, and, and I had some people in Pentecostalism when I first came in thought that that was saying that, but it wouldn't be no reason to do that. But when he says, say unto this mountain, whatever, however large the obstacles, those things that are in your way, nothing is too hard for the Lord. So some people make, a mold, mountain out of a mold hill or whatever, but all you have to do is speak the word. Speak to those problems. Speak the word of God. They'll be moved out of your way. You ask anything, ask the Father anything in his name that the Father will do. Uh, I've tried to recap this as far as possible, but like I say, I would be really selling you short to, to say I couldn't do it in one lesson. And this guy that, I'm going to have to finish listening to what he's doing, but he has about 19 lessons on it. Heavenly Fathers, we come before